on today's episode, Brian actually has finished painting something. There's this distinct lack of cheese curds. And of course, I get to ramble on about prizes. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, alright. Hey folks, we are back. This is episode 30. We're recording on January, or January. Heck, no, it's not January. It's, it's March. March. Wow. I, <laughs> my, my, my brain is way not with it today. Okay, so it is March 2nd, 2013. You are joined by your host, the Conzie with the most. And Brian. And Brian. Craving Man. Yeah, how's it going, bud? Awesome. How about you? We're doing great. It's been a great and busy couple of weeks here since we put together the last episode. And lots of hobby. Lots of hobby, lots of gaming. I've got a tournament in there. Lots of stuff to talk about. So without further ado, let's go ahead and tell the folks what we're going to talk about today. I think you mentioned Dust Notling. Dust Notling. It's a 1,000-point Warhammer tournament in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I was there last year. You guys can remember listening to my experience with the Doors. I was, I think, the second tournament, second tournament I had been to as part of Wisco Dice. So you can go ahead and loop back to last year's experience. And we'll note that I did better this year than I did last year. <laughs> so there is that. And you were the only one there, right? Robert I was, didn't go nope, either. no, no, but I was the only Wisco Dice host there. It's kind of sad. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Well worth going though. It did definitely filled up. It was capped pretty early, so there were a yeah, couple of guys. Yeah, I think it was a hurry. Because I looked at getting in on it, but it was full. <laughs> I think we might have been able to get you in if you would have just went a with me. I think you know it's almost out. always inevitably yeah. if somebody doesn't show up the day of. Actually, I know uh, the Raj Joe Rogers didn't make it. Yeah, on for the day of, so. for me, I didn't worry about it. So, all right. So then, on top of that. We're going to go ahead and, for our main topic, get back to something that's near and dear to the Wisco Dice host, and that's talking about painting. So Very we're actually, sexy painting action. Yeah, we're going to talk about some serious sexy painting with just talking a little bit about how you add some depth and highlighting to your miniatures and some easy, so not only some easy t- techniques, but maybe some advanced stuff that is uh, as advanced as we get anyways. Yeah, I'm definitely not advanced. But I don't feel like I am either. But but uh, I'm, I'm no I'm I'm not at the top tier. The the midway. I got a hobbies, painted unit now. That is awesome. <laughs> I blew the big build up for it. Ooh. So let's go ahead then and give a big thanks to all of our sponsors. Starting with Misty Mountain Games down the road. Yeah, it is. It's right down the street from Dugan's Delve Studios. It is the largest gaming space in Madison, Wisconsin, and they're happy to go ahead and order anything that is that you need if it's not on the shelves already. Of course, they've got a full line of gaming products, both Games Workshop with Warhammer Fantasy, 40K, Lord of the Rings, but they also have Hordes War Machines in the miniatures catalog. Lots of board Reapers, games. Reapers, tons of board games, pretty much anything card game oriented you want, cards. some clicks, yeah, everything you want from everything. a game store recover, they carry it. Next up, we have the last rectangle, the last triangle. Circle. Circle? Circle. No, 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 it's a square. It's the last square. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it is. It's the last square. It's over on Odana Road. West side. The west side of Madison, Wisconsin. And they are basically the war game store of uh, Madison. Heck, All I, about I, I'd say game. they're the war game store of Wisconsin, honestly, but that's maybe a little egotistic. But they, I remember back in the day when, you know, people from Chicago would drive up to the square because they were the place that had this, a bunch of this kind of rare, or, or hard to find historical type stuff. They and got a lot of games in there, that's for sure. Yep, they've the definitely oriented historical it. Historical minis. 
tons of different miniatures games. They've orientated the store more and more to more gaming type stuff too. So you got board games now on the shelves. Yep. They've had a lot, they do a lot of really cool promos, demos, intros, events. There's a lot of stuff going on. All, all sorts of stuff. There's always stuff going on. It's a great place. Definitely check them out. And if you can't get to the square, you can always catch them online at thelastsquare.com. Yep. Order stuff. Yeah. 20% off all Just the time. Out. GW. It's awesome. And free shipping on any order over $150. Not Ooh. hard to, not hard to do, honestly, when you're buying minis. Yeah. All right. So then we've got Prism Gaming. Prism Gaming. Prism Gaming is awesome. Uh, I don't know that you've had a chance to actually try out other products yet, Brian. Nope, We've got to get your hands that. on some here sometime yep. soon. So Prism Gaming makes a great line of paints. I think there's just over 70 colors in their line. And I actually got a hold of Scott the other day because my, gob- my old games workshop, Goblin Green, oh, no. uh, is nearly out. And here I'm getting re- serious to rev up and paint some more Night Goblins. You might have seen at least the seven I finished. Up. Uh, not just that, but I've got <laughs> piles and piles of these guys. And there's another reason I'll talk about in a bit about wanting to do the, the getting a, a lot more Night Goblins painted the suspense. up. But, uh, yeah, I talked, I talked talk to Scott. I'm like, dude, what do you got for a, a match to that Goblin Green in your line? He's like, I'm not really sure. We've got a perfect match for it, but let me see what I can get together for you. So I've actually got him working on now a, a Goblin Green just the cus- for Conesy Green. It's gonna be the Conesy Green, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be great. Um, so we got that. I mean, but the, there's there are a lot of paints and all sorts of cool stuff. The washes. I mean, I rave about the washes yep, all the time. But always. The, the the leather wash, the armor wash, the the black wash are just top notch. My some of the things I use them constantly. They're always being used. I actually started using. I mixed a little bit of their. For the night goblins, I used to paint the night goblins, and I'd use like this wet dry brush over the over the black to get the green flesh of the goblin green. Now I'm like, okay, I'll just take a little bit of their prism green wash with a little bit of black prism black wash, mixed it up on the palette, washed it over, it gave me the same effect over just a straight goblin green undercoat. So it was awesome. So it's always kind of cool to be able to do things like that. And of course, that kind of leads towards our main topic as well. But painting is. Awesome, and their line of paints just makes it so easy to paint cool stuff really quickly, really fast, and really well. So definitely check out Prism Gaming. Uh, you can catch them on prismgamer.com. Finally, who else do we... I think there's one other sponsor that's been with us since, like, day one. Something with letters in it. There's letters Wisconsin. and Wisconsin-ish stuff. Yeah, it's the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. WWHFB.com. That's it. Yep, and... They are the oldest Warhammer game club in the state, so check them out. Uh, make sure you hook up, get your games, that kind of thing. Yeah, check out all the tournament info, yep. questions, rules, Def- score your games. Yeah, league scoring is always cool, and I think there's going to be something cool coming along the lines this year, this first term for playoffs. playoffs. I think we're going to organize with the Milwaukee region, and we're going to do like a big play- Everybody, Everybody's going to be invited boss. to one giant playoffs. Exciting. So it'll be kind of cool. All right. So let's go ahead then and jump into what have we done in the past couple of weeks. Uh, start. Have there been any Warhammer being played? I believe I played you last week, and I played Robert after our last show, I believe. Wasn't it? Or maybe I played you before our last show. Yeah, I guess I played you twice. Yeah, we talked about playing. We, we talked about playing me because we just got done playing, playing that Sunday after the last show came out. Yep. And so we talked about that on that show, but we did play a game in there. 
You just played last week. Which it was my Dark Elves yeah. versus your Vampire Counts yep. doing Cheddar Bowl prep. Yep. Um, so Cheddar Bowl, which is a tournament we're going to next weekend. We'll be there. Uh, yes, we'll be there. And it's basically a 2,200-point Warhammer Fantasy tournament with the rule is you have to take an allied character that is that a is the, uh, that's a hero choice up to 200 points from any other faction that's not your own that can has to be allied either the same. Um, so if you're evil, it has to be evil or one step away from you. Or you can go to neutral. Yeah. So that kind of thing. So I was playing Dark Elves, and I had an allied Chaos Sorcerer, yep. mostly because I've got him painted and based exactly the same way as my army because he's back from the old Cult of Slanesh-type list when uh, my wife was playing the that list. So it was easy for me to go over the shelf and grab, oh, hey, this guy's painted up, and he's painted up nice. And one of the things for appearance judging, they're considering your allied character and his appearance as part of, and how the he, whole army, yeah. how he, if he fits in and is painted like the rest of your army, you get like a, probably a bonus point or something out of it. So I'm taking it strictly for that, that Pippa point. Uh, that was a ton of fun. It was a great kind of, it was a, you I had a tough held list. My hand. <laughs> well, I, I kind of knew that. Though. You were kind of frustrated early on too. Like yeah, you right saw right. the double hydras on the board and you're like, ah, oh, this is just well, going to suck. And what scenario whatever. was that? We ended up playing Dawn Attack. Yeah, where you roll the random flank. Which you're playing vampire center. counts, yeah. And that everything really, ended up on the right flank almost. <laughs> it, 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 that actually ended up working out at least better yep. for you than what I've seen that do to other vampire, yeah, vampire count players where you bad. end up like with a general on the far left flank and everything else on the right flank or yeah, something. Yeah, that would have been bad news. That would have been just horrible because then it's just, okay, well, my army can't march and you can just focus fire wherever you need to. It was just strange being smashed on the side of the board, but it wasn't too bad. No, it actually ended up working out being pretty close. Yep. Um, I think I ended up winning that game by four or five hundred. Yeah, yeah, four or five or four or five hundred points. We ended up figuring out that it would have been like a, uh, like a seventeen or a sixteen, like a seventeen three or a sixteen four. And it basically, yeah, since you were on the right flank, there was a we had the uh, a giant tower building in you know kind of on that same flank across from you, so you were able to kind of hinge that and use that building to kind of help protect your flank a little bit so that I did have to come at you from the front side. I couldn't, and it, and it did keep you, you had a very tight battle line, so it was yep. kind of hard to crack. And yeah, sure, we, we uh, I did end up getting the win. It was a lot of fun. It was a good game. Yeah, it was a good game. And a good, a good game that you took a bad situation and ended up getting, you know, we were able to talk Once it out. Once I got out, my head back. <laughs> talk it out. And I realized I wasn't an idiot as long as I didn't get frustrated and kind of throw everything away. Yeah, you definitely. <laughs> it was a, it was a good game and, and, Hopefully a good prep game for yeah, you, Cheddar Bowl wise. For prep. Um, so definitely, I think some things we learned about the character that you were taking or potentially going to take too, yeah, as we, far as equipment. Out, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and we even I switched up my list right after that too. Hopefully, I'll get some a little bit of play before Cheddar Bowl in it. But I think my new list is pretty good. I like it a little better. Sounds great. I also had a game at Square. It was Dustin and I teamed up against, uh, can't remember his name, but he's playing dwarfs. And so it was my Toon Kings with Dustin's vampire counts against his dwarfs. And of course. What points did that work out? It, it was a 2000 point game total. And of course I had forgotten my casket of souls, which I had just finished painting. <laughs> so, so I was without that, a bunch of shooting and defense. 
with Dustin's very offensive vampire counts. Yeah. So, so you can just imagine he's pushing it forward and I'm laying back <laughs> while the dwarves are happily just, just literally chilling. Turn one, shoot, take, he shoots his cannon, takes my, uh, war sphinx off the board. Out of there already. Wow. Turn one, gone. Then drops the stone thrower, which he's got pumped up to strength five under the template and strength ten under the hole. That's pretty cool. And hits dead on on the ghouls, takes out like a third of them. Out. You know, turn one, we haven't even had a turn. We're like <laughs> down, both of us are down like a third of our army right yeah. off the bat. It was, at least it, undead, it, you didn't run out of there at least. No, but by the time we managed to walk the board and get get to his lines, rough up. there was like, I think 10 or 11 ghouls left in his vampire. What did it start with? Forty or fifty or something? There was like I think there was forty ghouls wow. plus the vampire in there. So we were <laughs> it was not going very hot. We did manage to at least get a couple of dwarf war machines off the board by the end. But yeah, like I I am I like the big thing I learned in that game was that uh tunneling my scorpions is ben absolutely like. horrible. It's absolutely <laughs> horrible because literally I needed to have them both come up at the same time to deal with the cannons. So because he could cannon one off, he couldn't cannon the other off. Uh-huh. So he only had one cannon. That makes of sense. Of course, yeah. only one pops up. Cannon goes boom, gone. That sucks. Next one pops up the next turn, boom, gone. <laughs> <laughs> like what the heck? Yeah, I we don't got a chance. You should have got to the cannon first and protected your scorpions somehow. I don't know with what. <laughs> <laughs> the only other things I had on the board were three chariots and you got your like painted fourteen. Now maybe they can do archers. So it was there was not a whole lot there. At least he wasn't shooting your chariots. <laughs> yeah, eventually, eventually those came off the board yeah, too. I <laughs> but yeah, big thing I, I I learned in that game is that I should have taken my archers and dropped them every turn I could into that cannon because it was I could have walked up and still stayed. Out of organ gun range, sure, and been able to drop strength three shots into that cannon. A double shot, and spell. Yeah, I didn't have that. I think I had. Actually, I did have that spell. So, but I, you know, I did get the first time I fired at it. I took two wounds off of it. Nice. And then I just never got another. I never got a really good another shot. And Uh the next turn, I shot it and didn't get anything. But if I would have done that since like the beginning of the game, it would have been. I chances are by like turn three or four, I would have got rid of that. Which might have given us a little bit of something. Of course, by then it had yanked off the scorpions and the war sphinx too, and the ghouls were decimated. But <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, enough about that game. That was obviously a game of grr. <laughs> <laughs> what have we been doing hobby wise? Uh, obviously, I think we've both been getting some hobby work done. Yep. I mentioned earlier, I did finally finish this long-talked-about Skeleton Archers. I finished those right after our last show. That They're is done. very I cool. I put crappy pictures on my blog. Hopefully, I'll update them with some nicer ones sometime when I bring them over here. Yeah, I got the photo box downstairs, which will be nice to take some pics of them in. Yep, but those are done, and then I've been doing a little bit of modeling, trying to get my vampire counts list filled out for what I needed for Cheddar Bowl. So that's set now, so I'm uh, working on touching up some ghouls so I can get to paint to them. Yep, got to get stuff. Got to get the stuff built before you can prime it and paint it. So, yep. All right. Uh, I have obviously been seriously working that sneaky get Andrew Sherman, <laughs> uh, like two or three weeks ago, posted on Twitter. Hey, Conzi, 44 Empire Halberdier is done. In your face. Yeah, basically it was an <laughs> in your face because I kind of slowed down to work on the Tomb Kings yeah. and, and really focus on them. 
uh, getting ready for the snot laying. And so I slowed down. I was, had, had a good solid lead. The next thing I know, he posts that. And I'm like, crap, I'm not in the lead anymore. In fact, <laughs> I'm not in the lead by quite a bit. Uh, uh-oh, got to crank down on this painting thing. So on top of having, I needed to crank down. It was getting to be close to a week to go or so before the snotling anyways when he posted that. So I had to, I had some serious work I had to finish up on, on snotling model. So I went ahead and finished up, uh, scorpions you did. Huh? I got my scorpions, my two tomb scorpions. I got my casket of souls finished. Yep. I've got my tomb king on foot finished. I finished up five space marines for in the ultramarine colors. That was all the marines then you had, right? The regular um, marines? Yes, it's all of the regular. Well, actually, I finished up ten space marines in that time. So I finished up ten space marines <laughs> in that time. So that was the last of the ones that I have built. I have finished up seven night goblins with, with short bows. Um, and I finished up my horse archers now. I uh, just finished those last night. Yeah, just post the pics. Look pretty nice. They turned out very. I, they turned out a lot nicer than I thought they were going to. I gotta say, oh my Locked god, that was painful painting all that bone. <laughs> you know, when you're doing like six or seven layers to to do your bone. Horses are kind of rough anyway, but then when it's an all bone horse, and, and the and those, more bone. <laughs> and those horses are kind of meh as far yeah. as model wise is concerned. I mean, they're okay looking, but they're. That's a pretty old it's really uh, old. sculpt and <laughs> so it's it's just not as dynamic or as cool as as some of the other stuff in the line so it was kind of by the time I was done with them I was just kind of like oh my god I'm glad I'm glad I'm finally doing the reds and blues cuz that went like really fast you know getting that bone done yeah. was painful <laughs> looks really good though so that was that was all I've done I've got seven more night goblins right now on the painting table that are virtually finished i gotta do the basing work on them and a couple other little bits i gotta finish painting in but i just started work on the final or the next two chariots for my tomb kings which will help will take a little bit yeah they'll take me a while to finish those that's that's probably two weeks worth of work at least Another there two, you're gonna have like a unit of five of them then? i'll have a unit of five which is my plan two thousand point list was five chariots plus the prince the king prince, the prince or wow. king and so I'm I'm looking forward to to being able to get that plus the two additional chariots for that unit of five gets me to the point where I can field core for sixteen hundred points. Nice. And right now I'm like, well, I need one. I need one chariot done to get to I think. So what's a chariot points? They're fifty, eh? fifty or fifty five or something like something that. Like that. So I need. Cause I'm like three fifty right now. Three forty nine points. I figured out in core today. To get the sixteen hundred points, uh-huh. and so getting the two chariots done helps push me over that hump to be able to get to that nice. that core point. So, so I've got that. That was a bunch of hobbying and work done. I finally got. I've got all this, the other bits built for now for my second war sphinx, so that all the crew are put together and stuff. I've gotten a bunch of other things. It's just been a lot of hobby work. I've been really spending a lot of time to the to the, the neglect of Mrs. Conzi. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to get hobby done and getting models painted and and worked on partially because I had obviously had a tournament in there, but also because I just need to get some stuff done. Awesome models you might have missed. Very nice. Of course, <laughs> that's that's my best contribution for the show. So what are the awesome models we might have missed for this episode? Mentioned them earlier. Maybe you have seen them that Ben painted them. Scorpions. 
Yep, we got the Reaper Tomb Scorpion, or the Reaper Giant Scorpion is what Big they call it. Scorpions, them. giant uh, scorpions. Now, I, I looked for, I, I like the GW one, but fielding three of exactly the same model kind of is meh. Of course, now here now I got two, two of them. the same model, but <laughs> yeah. they are, I like the, the idea of the Tomb King, Tomb King constructs is that these are animated statues. Yep. They seem a little too much. To the statuist thing, like the the face well, of the, the scorpion just stone. doesn't look right. The tomb scorpion, it's a tomb for a pharaoh or whatever, too. So yeah, and and I wanted to get more to an actual looking scorpion. scorpion look, and then do the funky colors that I'm doing the blues and the reds. Yeah, and that was a the both of them were a real pleasure to paint. Of course, I need to do something. If I include a third one ever in my list, I'm going to do something different for the third model. A whole but, different model. Uh, yeah. The Reaper has another giant scorpion model, actually. Yeah, I guess they had a little different one. That's a, that's available as well. So uh, I might use that or bad. or do some repose work. Like, I thought I, about. I have two of the GW ones. I just kind of repose the. Well, my first one's very static, and I kind of repose the second one a little bit. I also thought about doing like taking the existing Reaper, uh, giant scorpion, and making maybe taking like a. Uh, part of a human or something like that and, and Have having them, them like ripping them in ripped in, ripped in <laughs> half <laughs> and half cool. in the claws or something like yep. that. Something like that. So it'll be, it'll, but it's, it's such a really cool model. And we, I don't remember if we've ever talked about the Reaper miniatures as they part have a of ton of minis, man. They do. I mean, it's like it, anything you can think of. They probably make just it. about. I mean, it's the first place I usually look to see if they have before I even get too far into conversions. I start looking at Reaper to try yep. to find other miniatures. In fact, I found a couple of the liches that they have that I'm going to actually order, and I, I'm nice. going to probably use them as in my list somewhere, either for Hierophants or maybe as a for the Tomb Heralds or the Necrotracts sure. even. Yeah. So lots of opportunities, lots of cool things because. Uh, at some level, especially like with a Tomb King army, you're, I think it's, lim- you're really limited to what you can do if you stick with a strong games workshop theme throughout your list. Yeah, so you end up with a lot of the same model. They, they do. They end up being very much the same and, and not only the same for your models, but the same as every Everybody other Tomb King's yeah. army. So it, I think these are great ways to find a, great models and a great line of additional stuff to, to look at. Cause yeah, for Reaper too, I think you found it for me. That same giant scorpion, they make like a, scorpion man model yeah it's like a centaur kind of but a scorpion and i'm pretty sure it's pretty much the same difference of the model just modified with the guy's torso on there that i plan to use as a base for my scorpion king whenever i finish that sometime but that's another completely random model and they actually made it already exactly instead of having to rebuild the entire thing from the ground up now you have a base i was really surprised to, to see that it seems like such a weird thing to have but they got it now you just have to worry about sculpting on a people people's eyebrow yep <laughs> if you smell what the tomb scorpion is cooking <laughs> then you'll know we're taking a break here Do you want to speed up your games with super accurate measuring and control your dice from flying everywhere? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. Do you love beautiful, bold colors and amazing washes with a huge selection of colors? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. If you love to game, then you love Prism Gaming. For all of their products and materials, shop www.prismgamer.com. 
Hey, all right, we're back. All right, this is Conzi the Most, and we're going to have a quick little interlude here as I get ready to talk to Mike Ballard about an event that's happening at ROE Games. So, Mike, how you doing? Doing wonderful, and yourself? You know, we've rolling, you know, painting up guys, just finally, you know, maybe sneaking my way back into a, a slight lead over Mr. Andrew Sherman, but... It's been tight. It surprised me. He's he's much closer than I thought he was at this point. Well, I've kind of been in a slacker stage myself, too, now that i got a new demon book to work up to. It's going to take me a while. Well, you know, I I rocked out at least uh, 106 models so far this year. It's been kind of crazy. I think about a couple dozen. <laughs> it's okay. As long as you keep playing with painted figs, you're all good. Well, that's always the goal. Got to make that Conzie's challenge. That's why I got to pay more for the new Demon Book. Just get that brush going. That's all that matters. Well, that's the goal. All right. So, what can you tell me about this deal at ROE that's going on? What, 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 what is it like? Are we you, we're gonna play with stuffed animals or something? What, what is this event? I mean, tell us a little about it. Well, the title is Battle for Big Bull Falls. It's going to be a twenty-five hundred point. Warhammer Fantasy Tournament. 2,500 points, really? Who who does that stuff? Well, it's a little different. We kind of talked it over, and some people like to play with a little bit of everything. So we're opening up some different options. We're going to allow people to either build their army one of three different ways. First, they can build a standard 2,500-point list. They can do a 2,000-point list, at least 2,000 points, using allies up to one hero, one special, as many core choices as needed. Or they can do ones where they're using bound monsters, or bound monsters from Monsters Arcana or Store of Magic. Wow, okay. So say you want to take a list of 2,325 points of Warriors of Chaos and then take some trolls, works and goblins, you can do that too. Sure, that sounds interesting. I, I, I think it's a unique approach. It'll definitely make it different. So we get 2,500 points, some crazy kind of list things we can do. It's happening at ROE Games, and ROE Games is in Schofield, Wisconsin. Yeah, so we're doing it on May 4th. Okay, May 4th, uh, 2013, obviously, this right. year. And uh, what time is this kind of, what time do people need to kind of be at the doors to take part? Well, we're going to have doors open at 830, and we're going to start round one at 930. Okay. And do the people have to have their stuff painted for this? Is unpainted figs okay? Yeah, uh, is my like six demon princes? I'm gonna I'm gonna spring from my spawning pool. Uh, do they need to be painted? What what are the deep? What are the, what's the painting well, details? You don't need to have paint stuff painted, but you're not gonna win overall without having everything painted. Okay. Um, but we do have a lot of new players in the area whose stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's work in progress. Okay. Uh, and we're taking a little different approach than you've seen in the Midwest to stuff being painted, because usually they break the best painted category down to best painted and the player's choice. We kind of rolled that into all into one. So there's going to be a subjective checklist and votes that are going to be used together to determine best painted. Okay. That sounds cool. Well, I'll tell you some of the other cool things okay. that we got going on. Um, some of the cool things that we're going to have doing, we are going to give awards for best winner, the best painted, best general, best sportsman. Um, or there's an optional contest that people can take part in to get a reroll. Bring a terrain piece, and we're gonna toss out a word for the best terrain piece of the day that we see. Okay, and 
that sounds really cool. I'm definitely into the terrain and hobby portion. I think all of us Wisco Dice boys are. And one another thing is, how many folks are you going to open this up to? How big of an event is this going to be? Well, we'd like to see 20, because it's going to be the first one in the Wassa area that we've kind of reached out to the in the area. We have a room for 30, and as of today, I think I have nine signed up so far. Wow, that's already a pretty good, pretty good count. Yeah, I haven't been spamming Twitter or anything like that yet, but I'm pretty so far pretty proud of what we got signed up. There's even two people who I don't even know who they are that have signed up. That's awesome. That's that's always really good, especially when you're getting locals, because I'm assuming all of this is local people that you're getting signed up at this point. So far, except for two names I don't never heard of before. Wow, that's that's really impressive. I know none of us Wisco Dice boys are on the sign up, but definitely make sure that the Conesy with the most gets on that because I'm definitely coming and I'm hopefully bringing the other two Wisco Dice boys with. Well, that'll be excellent. So, um, like a lot of tournaments, we're also catering lunch in. Wow. As well. All right, um, I'm going to go ahead and do some pulled pork. I'm going to smoke it myself. And if Ryan Nickel signs up, I guarantee you'll be Hormel. <laughs> uh, Hormel. Uh, best cast ever we had I at agree. the event. All right. And well, how much is this whole thing going to cost a uh, person? Is it, you know, $50, $75? $25, really? That's that's cheap. I mean, how, how are you pulling that off? Well, it looks like we're going to get some good people. We're going to we're going to hopefully have some more sponsors besides Prism Gaming kicking in and ROE as well. Um, we're hoping to hear back from a couple other sponsors in the next couple of days. Okay. And so we'll start having a couple that are going to surprise some supplying some surprises, some prizes, as well as either a helping out with the food portion of everything. Okay. And stuff for the charity raffle. There's a charity raffle. What's what's that about? Well, the charity raffle. Um, it's from the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Okay. Um, my wife's grandmother has Parkinson's, so it's kind of being done in her honor. Oh, that's awesome. That's always really cool when you have, uh, doing something that's charity orientated that touches and hits home like that. So very well. That's awesome. So we're going to have some raffle tickets. Um, player, and that's kind of how people can get some rerolls. They can buy raffle tickets to get, take care of the rerolls. They can also, bring a terrain piece or donate items to charity. That's that's really cool. So we got a charity charity auction, charity type thing, check. Turti- tournaments one day, right? Correct. Three rounds? Three rounds. Okay. We're, that's We're hoping that we're going to be walking out of there right around 7 o'clock. That's solid. That's solid. That's You're starting a little earlier than I did for Mayhem and getting done at about the same time. So it sounds like everybody's going to have plenty of time for each round. What are you planning? Two and a half, three hour rounds? Two and a half hour rounds. Okay. And uh, lunch catered on sites. So that's great. I mean, I, I, we were, I was there not too long ago and there was, it seemed like there was plenty of uh, local food or whatever if you didn't want pulled pork or you didn't eat pork or something like that. So that's always good. The, the store is awesome. I mean, the tables there are excellent. The, the product, he had a pretty decent little collection of product on the shelf when we were there. And the environment was great. It was clean. Of course, it's a new store, but hey, I, I don't expect Scott to slack on that portion. So. No, Scott does a pretty good job. I've known him for quite a few years. So he's got some good products there in the store. All right. Is there any other reason why folks want to make sure that they're at this event uh, over others that might be going on come the spring? It's an awfully busy tournament spring. 
Oh, I agree. Well, I think it's a good time that you can bring out all your wacky monsters that you don't get to bring out, you know, usually to tournaments. And that's kind of one of the things that we want to see. Um, we are, are going to be given an award for the best conversion that we see throughout the entire day as well. That's awesome. That so, is really awesome. We definitely want to celebrate the people who out there who do their own sculpting and their own converting because we think that's kind of the coolest thing that we see, something different that you don't see every day. You know, those one-of-the-kind pieces. I don't know. It's kind of hard to compete with your Skeletor dude. Well, I've seen some other pretty cool ones. The Magnificent Bastards, they ran on a blog a few years ago. Uh, I guess it was last year um, where they were, they were talking about converting up a toys for essentially a contest. And it looked like Joe Rogers, myself, and Rob Fanuff were in it. I don't know if Fanuff ever finished his project. And Joe Rogers picked up some little item at Michael's and painted it up. And it looked really sweet after it was all done. And I just thought that I needed a Hyro Titan. So just started looking around, and I saw a picture of Skeletor. And I'm like, that's going to be pretty easy to convert. So I got some brass rod and some different bits out of my bits box, green stuff, and converted it up over the course of a week. And that's just kind of made a mainstay in my army due to its effectiveness. Yeah, he's turned out, he turned out really awesome. He really looks cool and stands out. And it's hard unless you really look at him that to notice that he's actually Skeletor. So yeah, that, that was really cool. I got to see it firsthand at Wapaka this year. That was, it really kind of surprised me. Like, I was like, dude, that thing looks awesome. And then you, and then you said, Oh yeah, that's Skeletor. And it didn't even dawn on me. So well done. Good work. Well, thank you. All right. So make sure that you hit the, uh, this tournament make sure you get check out roe if you haven't had a chance get their website at roe-games.com all right and what's the tournament once again it's gonna be called battle for big bull falls and uh, where can we find info on that online we got it on our homepage, which is wassaweirdboys.com and that's weird boys with a, with a y Okay, so that's wassawweirdboys.com. Make sure you guys get out there, check it out if you're in the local Midwest area. When I say local, I mean Minnesota, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa. Wisco Diet Boys will be there. Mike's running it. It's at ROE. Everything will be great. And while you're there, you can pick up some Prism Gaming Paints as well on top of it. So Agreed. That stuff's good product. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike, for coming on. Not a problem. Thank you, sir. We'll go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, we'll get back to more Warhammer goodness. Are you tired of playing the same group of guys in your basement every week? Check out the WWHFB, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Check it out at WWHFB.com with regions in Madison, Milwaukee, Stevens, Point, and La Crosse. Anywhere in Wisconsin, you're going to find somebody to play. WWHFB.com, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Hey, we're back. Back, back, back. Or back. Yep. Or not to be back. That is the question. Huh. I'm confused. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go ahead and talk next about the Snotling. Yep. Of course, it kind of previewed. There. Yeah, I was there. And so most of this will be from my own experience. But this is my second year in a row going to the Snotling. Or third. Second. Nope. Second, I'm pretty sure. This is run by Chad Hansen. And he's run it for a lot of years, but he's only recently, in the last couple, opened it up to basically the general public. Oh, really? He had run this basically as for lacrosse locals only huh. um, in previous years because he wanted the new guys to come, be able to feel comfortable coming to a tournament 
Yeah, where it was all the local folks. And he's got, whatever, talking with Chad, he's got 15, 20 local guys that he can muster together for an event like that. Which is, yeah, kind of wild considering how things have been for us lately. (laughs) Yeah. But it gives him a chance to get all these guys kind of together and, and, and he, you know, in an environment where they feel like they have a chance to compete and win. Whereas when he starts bringing pinch, like he runs Bugman's Oktoberfest and that tournament, he opened up for the general public and almost none of his locals will ever show up because there's so many of the really good players in the community that show up to that from Minnesota and Wisconsin. You know, he gets the point boys there. He gets a bunch of guys from Minnesota that are, that come in a lot of really top end or, you know, near the top end of the talent pool. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm showing up. I'm paying my 20 bucks. What do I got to show for it at the end of the day? I get lunch. Okay. Well, I got better things I can maybe do for my day or something like that, which is kind of a, a bad, bad attitude. But since the, it's, it's, since it's kind of a, uh, loose group, it's, and you only have 20 spots. That tournament also fills up really fast. Yep. With the snotling, it's it's 1,000 points, which is kind of a unusual points level for most of us around here. It's we four usually rounds, play, though, right? Yeah, it was four rounds. It's just a single day, so it was a nice drive up there, hang out. Chad supplies lunch as well. It's 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 a good time to see all my buds. It, it, that part was great. But the whole thing is great. I shouldn't just say that part, but the, the whole thing is great. <laughs> that was, was kind fun. of the whole thing. But. but last year I had taken my dwarves and basically got my rear handed to me. But it was, hey, I'm like, at dwarves at a thousand points, I can kind of put it, put stuff on the list I could have fun with. And I got to push around the dwarves, my, my first ever Warhammer army. And it was a tournament I'm like, eh, I kind of wrote it off as a tournament that, eh, I, you know, I, I don't care if I win or lose that. I just wanted to push around my dwarves. This year I got to debut my Tomb Kings, my first time getting 1,000 points at Tomb, or getting a painted Tomb King army on the board in a tournament. So that was super stoked for that. <laughs> that was almost the first time you played them, even wasn't it? A thousand painted? Um, first time. Maybe you had one first, game before. I, uh, it's my first time. Yeah, I had one game against Dustin with Dustin as an ally against uh, the dwarfs that I talked about earlier. But yeah, that was the first time I got all these. I'm going to play one-on-one games with my Tomb Kings fully painted at a thousand points. I'd played some 1,000 point games back in our Escalation League. It would have been October-ish or so. Yeah, October. Some of that I wasn't in on that. So. Um, yeah, it would have been in October. I was playing weird. That was our thousand point month, but I had nothing was really painted at that point. The challenge was not in fact. Not I think I place. got them in October. <laughs> I didn't play any 500 point games with them because I didn't get them until October. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so it, playing. Playing this tournament, and one of the other unique things of this tournament that's different than any other Warhammer tournaments we have that we go to is that you start out with basically four thousand points, okay, huh. and you basically earn or lose points based on the victory point difference between you and your opponents for each round. So if you go into your first round. And you win by a thousand points. Well, guess what? You're now your total 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 towards victory of the tournament is five thousand points. Now it's Snotling. There's no appearance score required, so oh, it's wow. just straight battle points. There's no sportsmanship. <laughs> yeah. There's no and anything like that. I think there's some sportsmanship where you can vote, at, but it's nothing. None of it's tallied to the your, to the tournament winner. Sure. It's just strict these victory points, and then he he does have like a player's choice award. That he has, and he does have a a uh, last place thing. Or does does else, have yeah. something for the last place, and he does have. Uh, I think there's a you vote for your favorite person you played against all day, 
favorite couple of players or something like that. Huh. So there's a there is a sports, but it's not worked in towards the overall. Well, I guess it's really not an overall. So it's a tournament winner. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So so that's kind of a neat neat structure. And with 1K games, I I feel a little more comfortable with that because it's uh, each game's a little more. You know, it, I I think 1K games get lopsided really quick. Um, or can be because once things start going downhill, you you have a lot less stuff to recover from. Yeah. So you like you, if you have a big block, if you big chunk of your army's a forty man horde, that was you know, all you have. A third <laughs> of your army gone, and, it, and it all of a sudden busts. Well, yeah, you're the game's kind of over. You know, it's you're just gonna you're on your back foot for the rest of the game, especially if it happens early. So, um, how did your games go? How did my games go? Well, game one, I played against Quentin. Quentin was playing Demons, and this was the old book Demons. The new book Demons obviously just released, so it wasn't available in this tournament. Uh And neither was the new book Warriors of Chaos. He did not allow them, even though they were the book had been published. Out that week or something. Yeah, and it was he. He didn't allow it. It was old book Warriors. But he, uh, Quentin had Demons, and his list was five Flesh Hounds, five. Screamers and a giant unit of like thirty some horrors with a level two. Oh, one other thing about this tournament, you couldn't take lords. So oh, that, uh, that part sense. that helps make sense here with the with his with the lists as I talk about them. But he had a level two Laura Life uh, Zinch Herald with his horrors as well, huh. and that was his entire list. Not very much. Um, and basically, this was a you, the deployment in this game. This round was you split your army into three chunks. And each chunk gets placed in, uh, you get 12 inch deployment and a third of the board. So you take a third of your, you take a chunk of your army, whatever, one of your chunks of your three chunks, put it into that third of that deployment zone. So it forced you to sprawl out and use a bunch of your deployment zone. Well, my army. Were they still on like four by six tables for a thousand? uh, Four by four. Four by four. Okay. Which was a little better. But it unfortunately, my army needed to be kind of packed together a little tighter than that. Yeah, and usually so that's it's better for because I can't undone. march. So it forced me to be really sprawled out. And then since I was sprawled out, I'm like thinking back in my head. You know, I haven't played this very very long time, so I'm, I don't know why I was thinking this. But like, I really shafted myself in my deployment. And one of the big <laughs> things to do. I mean, you're gonna listen to me, and like, you're gonna be like, "Oh my god, you're a moron." So he's got his screamers on the on on his right on my right flank it was one of the first things he put down and so i know screamers are really good against they get a wound against a large monster it's d3 wounds wow so i'm like the worst sphinx doesn't want to line up against them <laughs> so i put a scorpion in my chariots against them it was my group well i'm also looking at things and i know his flesh hounds are on his far left flank and that's where my hierophant my archers and my casket are so I really don't want – I need to get stuff over to, to kind of protect them. Yep. So I put my scorpion in front of the chariots with his flank <laughs> facing the board and then the chariot sitting right in front of him ready to move forward. Well – Whatever sense that made at the time. <laughs> I, I don't know because the scream – it just – what ended up having is, he, is Quentin has the first turn. He moves the screamers twenty inches forward, and I've got no threat for him because I've got a scorpion in the way and can't charge him <laughs> with a chariot. So he's free to move him twenty inches forward, which then means the rest of the game he's literally just flying over the top of my scorpions, and I can never quite pin the the screamers in a place where I can 
double char- get a charge off of them. I, I can't quite cover all the angles. Uh-huh. And he's just able to dance the the screamers around me and just do flyby attacks. And it's just enough to take take all the stuff off, you know, from the from those two flanks off. He magics he magic missiles my sphinx sphinx like off the board. Sphinx. He gets his flesh hounds into my casket to start with. Wasn't that even a ridiculous like one magic missile that took out the Sphinx or something? No, the first magic missile did like three wounds to it and the second one did like another two or three. Still made pretty short work of it. So yeah, it was was done in two turns. It was just like, wow. Uh, That was kind of rough. Yep. But uh, it it was a rough game. I ended up getting tabled in like five turns. And I do apologize for Quentin. I did forget when he got my casket to explode it. It would have made the game probably even shorter for him. (laughs) So, yeah, that was a rough start and really like, oh my god, I'm, you know, I looked at it in hindsight looking at the game and how it went and looking at Quentin's list. I really think I could have, I had something for him if I would have just changed my deployment, put my casket in the center deployment zone, put my, honestly taken my War Sphinx and put it opposite of the Screamers and taking my scorpion and chariots opposite of the flesh hounds. Uh-huh. Even though I think the flesh hounds probably endure the chariot charge. They're pretty rough, but, but with the backup of the scorpions, you probably can't. You know, well, I would have had one scorpion there, but I would have been enough to to take the flesh hounds down, coupled with maybe a lucky casket roll or something else. I would I I, I had tools to get some victory points Not have off them of run them. straight through instead, and take I, out the I, casket. Yeah, instead I <laughs> took nothing of Quentin's <laughs> off the board. And I ended up losing the game horribly. So. Okay, so I just finished uh, for round one at the Snotling, and I played against Quentin Woodward and his Chaos Demons with my brand new Tomb Kings first tournament outing. This is starting out really well. I've got a went ahead and got a huge loss. I killed absolutely nothing in this game, but I did manage to almost get a flesh hound unit, and I did get like three wounds on some screamers. So Quentin was playing a giant unit of horrors. There was 35 of them in the list. He had a Herald of Zinch um, with Loremaster and Lore Life, and then he had five flesh hounds of corn and five screamers. So it was a tough matchup. The scenario made us split our army in like three chunks and deployed all over the kingdom come, which really hurt my synergy, and especially since I don't have a lot of, you know, it's Tomb Kings, I don't have a lot of movement, and I really killed myself on deployment and didn't see what he was trying to do, so that really bit me in the So we'll go ahead and get into round two here and see what happens. Until then, hang on. the end of turn round one learning experience yeah big learning experience (laughs) big getting back used to playing the tomb kings as an army a lot of uh little hiccups and the only practice i did get a one other practice game with them prior to prior to this i was in milwaukee and had played eric lens and that had been casket just take his chaos warriors off the board and it was just (laughs) like okay whatever (laughs) i didn't have to even work to win that game uh so Going into round two, I'm obviously stink, stunk it up pretty bad. Can I can only taking, go up from here. <laughs> you would think. So, but I couldn't. Oh. <laughs> uh, so round two, I end up taking on a young kid, and unfortunately I don't remember his name, and he was playing Bretonians. 
So and he had a single lance, knight of the uh, knight of the realm lance. Like I think it was eight dudes strong with a BSB. He joined with it. Yeah, uh-huh. obligatory BSB. He had a level two on foot, which he for whatever reason ran around on foot, and she was lore of life. He had uh, trebuchet, a block of like twenty five do uh, peasants with halberds, a block of like ten or twelve. Archers or something like that, peasant archers, and a unit of Pegasus knights, like four or five strong. Huh. So I'm like, Who was okay. the general in there? Uh, would have been the the other mage. The was actually the mage general? would have had to have been his general because huh. the BSB couldn't have been. So I'm I'm doing like okay, I've got this. I I've got the war sphinx. If I can get him into one of those lances, I can concentrate, focus my my archer fire in a casket on the Pegasus knights. You know, maybe, you know, I, I'm probably going to eventually maybe get ground down, maybe get lucky and break the knights with the War Sphinx. But as long as I tie them up for a bunch of time, I can use my chariots to sweep around my chariots and my two scorpions. I'll, I'm like, this is an ideal game to bury my <laughs> scorpions. So I'll just bury my scorpions and I'll use my, my chariots to be good enough to take on those men at arms without any knight support because he had the knights too far away from him. They're gonna bust on almost anything, and I'm just, I'm like I'm really confident I'm gonna win on the, win the combat. So I mean, leader, what are peasants? Leader five or six or something. I think like there's that. six with the champion in there. So yeah, leader six peasants, top notch. Which is <laughs> one of the things you know I I made sure when I got into combat with him, I kill that peasant out, kill, kill that champ out from underneath him too to get rid of him. But yeah, I, I'm like I'm I'm gonna, then I can sweep around and get all this like low leadership junk on peasants. You know, where's my chariots? And now I have scorpions popping up the also threatened in his backfield. So I, I mean, like I got that part covered. And at some point, maybe I'll be able to sweep. You know, the scorpions once they both pop up, I can sweep those chariots. Once I bust the peasant block, I can sweep them around and and get them into maybe the back of knights or something. Pretty solid game plan. Yep. What happened? It didn't go to plan. No. <laughs> well, everything went to plan. The problem was okay. So. His turn one, I've basically lined it up so he can pe- he can charge my War Sphinx with both his Pegasus Knights and his uh, Realm Knights, his big lance. It ended up being like, you know, it was like nine knights or something. And there. you wanted that to happen? Yeah, I like, I don't care. It's a toughness eight. Okay. He's going to need sixes to wound the thing. So I'm like, I, I'm almost assuredly going to hold ground, and I've got the Killing Blow boost spell up on the thing as well. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I think I did have that. Nerd. Killing blow. Yeah, I did have the killing blow. No, I didn't have, have the killing blow spell up on it yet. The riders have killing blow already. The riders do have killing blow, but, but I didn't have the, the killing monster. blow spell yeah. on it. But I did have the killing blow spell, so I could cast that and heal the sphinx. So you know, get the effectively looking sure. for the heals on it more I'll than take I'm out looking some for the good too. Yeah. for the knights. Yeah, and so he he charges in. I'm take the first round of combat. I take absolutely. He charges in only with the realm knights. Huh. No Pegasus Knights, which is what I would have done. He does absolutely no damage to the War Sphinx. I kill... I might have killed a knight. But I ended up losing the combat by one. Or losing the combat by two. So you took one wound. Suffer a wound because of the constructability. I'm like, this is perfect. All of the high strength stuff is gone. And you All he's got is strength three it. left. I've at least made when he does get a wound through, I've got a five up armor save. Next round of combat on my turn, he does five wounds to it. I fail four of the saves. <laughs> All at strength three. 
and ended up getting taken off the board. <laughs> Terrible. I did manage to killing blow the BSB. The final blow before you yeah. hit it. With the four dudes on top swing the same time as the rest of the knights that got the war yeah. sphinx, killing below the BSB, he's gone. That's rough. That was horrible. <laughs> horrible. I mean, like, there's my whole game plan. I just need that guy to hinge and hold for like two, yep. three rounds of combat, and I'm good. Nope. Second round of combat drops. And he was like perfect. After the first round, he was perfect. Like all of the stuff I had to sweat, uh-huh. he endured. Like, ugh. Just horrible. Just horrible. <laughs> but sometimes it's just the way the dice bounce. Yep. So then he's able that. to, later in the game, bring his knights down the board, bring the Pegasus knights. He brings them, gets them engaged with the archers, gets the regular knights engaged with a... Casketer. No, I think he brings them both. Both units he brings into the archers. They have it so he couldn't get to the casket. He then brings... He overruns, gets into the casket... Casket's gone, Hierophant's gone, General's gone. What are your chariots doing this whole time? The chariots are running around <laughs> the backfield happily, just smashing stuff. <laughs> Taking care kicker, of the peasants. Kicker on the, on the sec, on turn two, so I've already lost the worst Sphinx, okay? I'm like, grr, I lost the worst Sphinx. It's my turn to roll for the, roll for the... Crumble action? The, well, the crumbles where I didn't suffer okay. really anything. Oh. I roll for the... Scorpions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Both of them are going to come up. <laughs> roll the artillery and the scatter for the first one. Misfire. Roll a one. Gone. Oh. <laughs> like, that's the last time I've ever... I learned my mistake. That's it. Then the first second one... Last. Then the second one charges his <laughs> level two wizard. She holds. I get two wounds on her. Or I roll... Roll to hit. I get two hits on her. Makes both the lady saves or something crazy. Roll two snake eyes on the oh, two wound no. roll. <laughs> First round Terrible. of combat, I end up winning by by I end up winning by a charge because he got the charge. She yeah. she uh, holds. I'm stuck there on her instead of overrunning into uh, like archers. Like, ugh, just nothing would seem to want to go right. I end up getting <laughs> tabled in this game and end up losing the game by like 400 points. Shouldn't mess with the lady, man. Yeah, so we can already <laughs> see how this is going. This tournament has went horribly for me so far. Now it can um, only get better. Now I'm on the <laughs> bottom of the bottom tables. I can't get any further down in this tournament. So everything died. No, it's fine. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> round three, I'm playing against a gentleman with got high elves, and his list is a single hero on foot with a great weapon. He's got like eighteen or so uh, white lions, two units of. 10 sea guard with banners and musicians at least and two eagles and a unit of like 14 sword masters with full commandish thing i think he might not have had a champion high elfy kind of stuff high elfy stuff you know like stuff i'm sweating i'm sweating getting into like Elves white, are lions, pretty rough for white lions and sword masters <laughs> i'm sweating getting into combat with so i might be tough five but i'm only three wounds on the scorps and i might be tough eight on the on the Worse Sphinx, but he gets lots of re-rolls. Yep. Well, the key to this is I all, I kind of hinge. There's a building. I hinge everything kind of to my left flank, and I'm able to deploy pretty regular. So I'm a, so everything's kind of to my left flank, and there's a building kind of square smack in the center about 10 inches away from the board edge on that left flank. 
I'm able to go ahead and I get a little bit of a casket lock, but I but there's also a he had to deploy his army first, and then I deploy mine, and right. then you roll to steal the player who set up second steals initiative on you a six. Got it. I got the initiative. <laughs> that doesn't happen often. Woom! All right, this is awesome. Yeah, not only that, but then it helped me jump the positioning on that building. Sure. To be able to, I'm like, okay, well, now that I get to get to go first, I pushed everything kind of the one way, so I have. My war sphinx on the near the table edge side of the building, on my further, uh, furthest to the left side of the building. I have both scorpions on the left side, right next to him, you know, like right next to each other. And the only thing he's really got that he can ch- challenge with anything there is he's got an eagle. Or he's, he can move the eagles into position to kind of chaff me up. And he can move the, uh, sea guard unit, the white lions and the, and the Swordmasters are all way out of it. There's no way they can possibly engage any of this. So I'm, huh. I've got like this maximized so I can get this. And if it works out right, then I can hopefully get this. My thoughts are I can hopefully get the Sea Guard, be able to kind of turn my army, and then be facing down with two Scorpions and a War Sphinx into the front of, you know, he would, you know, he'd be forced to maybe reposition his White Lines, and I'd have to take him in the front. This works out even better because on his turn, he moves the eagle in such a way that if I charge it, I'm going to get an overrun move that puts me in the flank of his white lions. Wow. He didn't see this quite coming, what I'm going to do. And this is the key to my victory in this game. And then, so on my turn, I take my two scorpions, which one of them's taken like a wound from shooting or two. I think it took a wound, just a single wound from shooting. Sure. And I charge both of them into his sea guard unit. I take my, when he sat his eagle there, he didn't see the positioning on my war sphinx well enough and didn't think I could see the eagle with the war sphinx, mm-hmm. which I clearly could. Um, you just had to look at it a little bit closer. And I charge the eagle with the war sphinx. For whatever reason, he holds. Actually holds it. You're not, that's, I thought that was the whole point of Eagles was to <laughs> run away. He holds the Eagle. I end up in combat with the Eagle with a War Sphinx. The War Sphinx way outclasses it, smashes it to bits, overruns into the White Lions. I'm now in the flank of the White Lions with the War Sphinx. And two Who's got its breath it. weapon attack. Oh, the Scorpions man. end up whiffing pretty bad against the Sea Guard and end up taking three wounds between the two of them against the Sea, against the sea Guard. Mm. So they're both sitting at one wound left. And the Sea Guard ended up holding. I think I won that combat by like one. Oh. Yeah, that's not Or no, it. I think I lost that combat by musician is what ended up happening. Oh, okay. At least you didn't round. take any wounds. No, I didn't take any wounds because of the construct rule, but that was kind of embarrassing. Your but Sphinx the, is still in the flank. The sea, the, yeah, the Sphinx is in the flank. I go into my turn, breath weapon, thunderstorm, piles of attacks. <laughs> It takes like three rounds of combat to finally get every single last white line because they're oh, they stubborn. The whole, oh, really? They're stubborn, yeah. and then the character was in there too, and I didn't direct. I couldn't get a killing blow off on the character until ah. like he had. He was down to one wound left, and like the last, the last attack on him got him <laughs> as a killing blow. So 
then it was just a concessive like like the chariots i took them into the the i got the sword charge of this charge on the chariots and the sword masters which i smashed like half the sword master unit with the Impacts. chariot charge on the impact hits nice. and then the sword masters managed the but just remaining sword masters butchered the chariots and yeah. they died but <laughs> I, I had the chariots lined up that was what was going to happen and i would rather be the charger in that case and get impact hits and yep. use them as a kind of a wasted shooting phase then not use them, not lose them. So, and then I had, you know, at that point, then the worst Fangs was in a position to be able to charge the sword masters in the rear. And he was kind of intimidated by it. So he fled. And then the following turn, I casketed the sword masters and took off enough that he needed snake eyes to rally. And oh, they no. rallied, ran off the board. <laughs> and finally, it was just the last unit of 15 sword masters, which the worst Sphinx eventually charged and destroyed. Okay, round two. I got ahead and finished up against a young gentleman playing Bretonians. And in this one, the big note of this game was uh, his one route, Knights of the Realm Lance, charged my uh, War Sphinx and did, on the charge, didn't do anything, and I ended up crumbling one wound on it. On the second round, all at strength three, he turns around and does five wounds on me and all at strength three and I only pass one armor save, poof, four sphinx gone before I could swing with anything. At least the caveat there is at least on that turn swinging simultaneous, my tomb guard got his BSB and ultimately ended up losing the second round um, pretty sh- pretty narrow margin, just uh, I think it was like 300 points in margin, but it was enough to be enough for a loss that put me right in the bottom. So then I went ahead in round three, I played against Jacob, Jacob's playing Hiles, I played him before here in lacrosse, he's a lacrosse regular, and he had a unit of, two units of 10 Sea Guard with banners, he had a unit of uh, like 14 or 15 White Lions and 14 Swordmasters and two Eagles. Along with that, he had one single hero on foot that joined the White Lions, and that hero had a was armed with a great weapon. Okay, and had a three-up save. So this scenario is basically standard deployment. You deploy with uh, with uh, six inches with a. Steely, steely. Uh, one one guy sets up, picks the board edge, and then you have to roll a six to see who goes first. And I slowly, slowly, uh, whatever you want to call it, I rolled the six, so I, I ended up setting up second and got the go for first turn. So I was able to push everything forward and get some of the charges I wanted, which ultimately ended up with the War Sphinx getting into a Great Eagle, which then overran into the flank of his White Lions, um, which was then the turn when the flank of the White Lions, I was able to breath weapon and just smash the White Lions to Dickens right off the bat. Um, took a couple rounds of Comet to finally finish them off, but I got them. And I was able to go ahead and then I got a big casket roll on the Swordmasters, which took off seven and uh, ended up tabling them in the top six. So it was a big kind of comeback game. It's going to get me out of the bottom basement of this event, but uh, still not, 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 it hasn't been a great opening turnout for the Tomb Kings. So that was 
was it. That was the game. Yay! Finally. Finally, a big win. <laughs> big win. But I did lose, uh, I did lose both my scorps. I lost the chariots. And the chariots. So it wasn't, uh, as big of a win as it could have been. It was like a seven or eight hundred point win, but definitely starting to get myself out of the, the gutter. Still on the table. <laughs> okay. So going into round four, I ended up playing against, uh, an all night goblin army. And going into this, like all night goblins, he had three Even blocks of night goblins. All of his characters were, were night goblins. Yeah, he had two mangler squigs, and that was pretty much the list. So he had a night goblin BSB and two level two night goblin shamans. So the best, his general's leadership is a five. The best <laughs> unit's terrible. leadership he had was a leader six with a reroll because of BSB. So this the this gen's uh, primarily a forty k player. So he wasn't as strong with the rules as I was. And I ended up winning this game, basically, basically making him give up on a rules really? issue. Um, so, and he was at this point doing pretty well against me. I mean, he lost the manglers. The the table was kind of bad for him because he had, um, it was a two, a one giant piece of impassable terrain on the left, and a forest on the right with a giant fence basically going right down the center of the board. <laughs> so with a couple of little holes or just mangler squig big enough that you could scoot the manglers through. So, but it invented it took him an extra turn to get the manglers into position. And I didn't have anything other than shooting and caskets to get rid of them. So on my turn one, I casket one off the board and I shoot the other one off the board. Really? Wow. Somehow I got lucky on the shoots. <laughs> Apparently. But... Mangler Squig's gone, so the biggest threat's gone. I'd end up taking some fanatic damage, but the big thing here is on like turn three, my worst Sphinx is set to charge. Um, charges his, his BSB block, and I think his general was also that block. So I charge, choose to charge that. He's like, I've told him what the worst Sphinx does. He's like, that's just going to be bad news for my night goblins. I'm like, yep. Cause I'm gonna killing blow that BSB out of help from that unit. And once that happens, you're st- you're stubborn five. I'm gonna and I'm gonna bring the pain, and the goblins ain't gonna bring much hurt. Yeah, it's too bad he had the stubborn, but it's only a five. Yeah. <laughs> so, but so he chooses to flee, flee his re- his reaction. Well, this ends up fleeing the night goblins far enough back. So, and it's the first charge I declare. So my scorpion now has line of sight to the unit and hasn't declared a charge. It's within the possible charge range of the scorpion, so I declare another charge with the scorpion. Well, what's the rule, Brian? You should know this one. For when you get charged with the second unit... They gotta run some more. They gotta flee. They have to choose flee as a reaction again, and they do move as a flee. It's very clear in the book. He thought they didn't choose to flee, that they would just stand and I would have to make the charge. Like... Like I would have to actually roll, no, that to run them down, so that I would at least have to roll the dice to see if I make it. And it was kind of a long ways, Uh but that's not the way the rules written. And now he rolls with his general's block. And remember, these are four by four boards. This general's block was on his on my right flank. I char. It's already fled, so it's a little closer to the board already. It flees again. He rolls a ten. He flees off the board. It's gone. Yep. <laughs> I redirect the scorpion into another one of the goblin blocks, which it then, and then I charge it to my tomb prince, who's on it uh, by himself in this game, into that same goblin block. He's just walking they around beat, on foot. They beat his, yeah, he's just walking around on foot. <laughs> he, he didn't have any shooting, and I wasn't intimidated oh, okay. by goblin magic, so. 
Yeah. Then between the two of them, I then go ahead and bust his other goblin block. I don't catch it, but it's my turn. It, it, you know, it's going to be his turn. The best he can do is rally. Now he doesn't have a banner in that block. Yeah. He's lost his other wizard, so he's got no magic. I've got casket. I've gotten rid of all of the score, uh, all of the fanatics pretty much by this point. I think there was one still left, and he has one block of twenty goblins that are that that panicked and fled away when I but when I won that combat. So at that point, he gives up. It's like the top of turn three, and I get the big win without losing. I don't think I lost any victory points at wow. that, in that game. It was just everything went perfectly right, and he had, I, I would say, a. It wasn't a, it, the thought process of bringing like a goblin or a night goblin army to a 1k tournament isn't a bad thought, but his build didn't account for any of their major weaknesses mm-hmm. in the night goblin army. So, and he didn't have anything like, I mean, the major weaknesses are leadership, obviously, that's for a big sure, one. Yeah. And he didn't bring anything to counter like the fact that all of his stuff was just these big blocks of strength three guys. Well, how do you plan on killing anything? Well, you only can kill things with fanatics. Manglers. And manglers. Well, what happens when your opponent can take the manglers and the fanatics? Take care of them. Which is, or you get unstuck on a board like that. You have uh-huh. nothing left. You don't have any fighty characters and kill things. You don't have any leadership to keep you stuck around. And he pushed it forward on me. He didn't have to. He could just sat in his deployment zone. Huh. Okay, so round four at, at uh, the Smiling is finished up, and I played against Donovan. Donovan was playing Orcs and Goblins with an all-Night Goblin list. Really kind of interesting list. He had uh, two level two Night Goblin Shamans and a Night Goblin BSB, so it was all very well-themed, really cool, really well-painted army. Um, game ended up breaking down to a turn to he chose the fleet with his generals unit with a BSB um, for my worst wings charge and I turned around then and was able to that fleet then brought my tomb scorpion into line of sight and I was able to go ahead and charge with the tomb scorp and that he then with a flea roll fled enough to run off the board and that kind of summed up the game right there at that point um, these other big block of night goblins with with uh Spears ended up getting charged with my uh, tomb, one of my tomb scorpions and my tomb prince, and the tomb and the tomb prince managed to kill the second level two shaman, and the scorp got a couple of wounds, so I ended up winning by one, and that unit busted. I didn't quite catch it, but I was an inch behind it and ready for a charge on my following turn. Um, if he rallied, if he didn't rally, which only on a six. I would probably have charged and chased, started chasing things off the board. So, uh, otherwise, it's been a good tournament. I won two and two, so it's a good turnout for the first time with the Tomb Kings. Uh, looking forward to the next time I can put them on the board. Big win for me. So, ended up getting. Overall in the tournament, I think it was eight. I haven't eighth overall in the tournament after wow. those two wins. <laughs> the two losses go all the way to eight. So yeah, that was really awesome. And I and I would like to I don't I haven't seen the official he was gonna post the scoring online and I hadn't caught the the scoring if he'd posted it yet. 
So I'm not a hundred percent on that final placement, but I thought that's where I saw myself when I left uh, left the tournament that night. So it was a really good time. I had a blast. I really recommend the snotling, although only if that means you're not going to take the place that I want to take getting in <laughs> next year. But lacrosse is a little bit of a drive, uh, but it was good to see all my buds and hang out with everybody. And and four games in one day was a lot of fun. I really did appreciate and have a good time and it was paced really well the store there is really cool in lacrosse it's well well worth checking out so a really good time was had cool let's go ahead and take a break at this point and we'll go ahead and come back we'll get into our gaming main spotlight top. and other main right. topic type stuff excited i'm excited my precious my precious your precious what? My precious everything. Yu-Gi-Oh, Warhammer, 40K, War Machine Hordes, everything. Everything? Yeah. It's all at Misty Mountain Games. Really? Correct. Located on Cottage Grove Road. And you know what? I hear they also have the largest gaming space in all of Madison. Don't just hear it. I know they do. All right. And also, you can check them out for board games as well, I hear. Yep. Board games. They got pretty much everything. The management and the staff down there are awesome. They can hook you up with whatever you need if it's not on the shelves. They'll make sure they get it in for you promptly and quickly. All right. Well, check them out. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. And, of course, hit their website at mistymountaingames.com. Hey, hey, hey. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, hey, folks, we're back uh, again from break. And so we're going to go ahead and get into our gaming spotlight this week. Gaming spotlight. And yeah, we're going to talk about a game that I think Brian and I both like a lot. I like lot. it a lot, yeah. Yeah, we, we like it a lot. I don't get to play it as much, I think, as you have lately, but... I played a little more, but I still haven't played it too much. Probably it doesn't help that I only have the one, one expansion box, box it, yeah. to it, so... Uh, that probably doesn't help at all with, you know, people coming over. Cause I know I've had people come over, they're like, dude, let's play some Dominion. And then they're like, ah, oh, well, you just have That's what intrigue. we're talking about is Dominion. Yep. It is. We're just, they're <laughs> talking about Dominion. So Dominion is a deck building game yep. where you, you start out with a, a deck of so many cards and then you have other cards that are selected based on either the rules that come with the game or just a random set that you decided to use or however you decide to pick the the different piles that you can purchase from to add to your deck. Yep. And during your turn, you can play cards from your hands and in whatever order and be able to uh, try to get the best effects. And the person who has the most points at the end of the game wins. Yep. Yay. So first off, what are the different types of cards in the game, Brian? Estate cards. The estate, the estates, the the victory cards, the which points. are yep. yeah, the victory cards, which count. The base game is estates, duchies or dukies or whatever you want to pronounce that, and provinces. Yep. Cranky, I fully expect to be corrected on how I enunciate that word. <laughs> so you got those, as well as you've got curse cards, which are curse. negative victory points. Yep. And then you have treasure cards, right? Yep. The money you actually buy stuff. With. Yep. They're the money you buy stuff with. And then you finally have uh, action cards, yep, which allow you to do special things like maybe get extra actions because each turn you have you are able to play one action and have one buy. Yep. 
So you can get one new card, which could be a victory card, could be an act, another action card, could more, be a treasure, yeah. a better treasure card. Because in the beginning of the game, your deck starts well with seven coppers and three estates. Yep. And these are kind of the garbage victory cards and the garbage money cards. <laughs> so your goal is to kind of maybe, hopefully, maybe get rid of some of those garbage ones, get some better cards, some better money cards like silvers and golds. Maybe get some better victory cards like the ducky, the duchies and, and provinces and build in. Then, you know, with you, know, you can use these action cards, which don't gain you any victory points or anything, but can do some great things both to help you, such as maybe get you extra actions and buy actions, but all, uh, and even extra money, More but money. also to hinder your opponent by maybe forcing them to, uh, draw the card top. Or yeah, you have to force you to give him a, you know, to give up a trash card or something. Yeah, force them to trash something, or maybe you take the like, top three cards off their deck and put any victory cards back on top of their deck and discard their others. Yep. So help, you know, kind of stacking. You know, if they if they're drawing victory cards, you can't do anything when they're in your hand. They don't do anything. Yeah, they're just points at the end. Otherwise, they're just points. They're otherwise, just they're just filling up your hand with trash that you can't yep. use. Then there's uh, action cards that you can that are reactions like a moat, yep. so that you can play it to defend yourself from an attack action. Like a spy or something, yeah. Or the torturer, everybody's favorite attack action, which is giving which give you car uh, give your opponents curse cards. Oh, you know all sorts of things like that. And then the game ends either when three of the purchase decks, the possible action or possible purchase decks just any buy the, stuff yeah, run out, of cards out there. or which include the curse decks the coin decks the victory decks yeah they have a all lot the more cards decks. in the treasure cards there's a lot more of those than any of the actions or anything sure like that. thing and then you can play or then you uh, the game also ends if the province deck runs out yep and that's each deck has a certain number. Each one of your purchase decks have a certain number of cards, depending on the number of players that are playing the game. And base dominion plays with up to four, it goes from anywhere from two to four players. You can't play that one by yourself. Some of you can play by yourself. I think. Mm, I don't remember. Yeah. I know intrigue at least because that's the one you have. I know you can play that by yourself at least. Yeah, at least the core rules here says two to four players. I see. And then you start adding some of the expansions, and you get more cards. You add another base that game to it. You can play with more than yeah. Some of them get more players, but interaction and stuff in there too. Yeah, there's definitely more interaction that's possible. So one of the things, I mean, obviously with the game is that you you're obviously wanting to cycle cards out of your hand that aren't necessarily doing a lot for you, like. Coppers are only worth, you know, one coin worth of buying something, whereas a gold is worth three coins. So it's pretty obvious if you can get golds in your hand and you don't have coppers in your hand, yeah. when it's your turn to buy stuff, and you can do, you know, there's, you have better buying potential. So it's a real simple kind of strategy type thing. Obviously, there's a certain number of randomness because when your deck runs out of cards, you shuffle up all the cards that you just purchased. Over the past few turns, you know, until you get to shuffle your deck, and that's when you get to shuffle them back into your deck. So you never run out of cards. You're always, your your deck, your discard pile just becomes your new deck, and it has to be shuffled up. So you have a level of randomness there, obviously. Overall, though, it's a really good game. It's a lot of fun. It's a game I don't find that's, if it's in a game group once, it's probably enough. Yeah. 
because it, it's a great filler game. Because what a game of this is quick. probably yeah thirty to forty five minutes, even with four I people. I would think more than an hour. Ever, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe there's some of the variants or some of the things where you can play for that long, but uh-huh. it's it's it tends to be a, f- a faster game. The rules aren't very complex. Um, strategies can get be really complex, but the rules themselves to teach somebody isn't too terrible. I think it's kind of intimidating when you first start because there are quite a few cards, and it's like, well, what does this do? There's, what does this do? What does this do? Yeah, <laughs> there's like a, you're trying to figure out what to buy, but I always try and it's just like, if you want to know what it does, just put it in your deck. I mean, it's not really going to harm anything when it comes up. You're actually going to see what it's for if you like it. And, hey, I'm going to grab more of these kind of thing. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a good way to start out with it. It is. The first time, you're just like, eh, pick something that you think works, and then you know we'll be done with this fast enough that you play another game. So it's yep. very fast. Really good filler game for a board game day where maybe you're looking for that game at the end of the night. You're like, hey, we finished a little early. We'd like to play something that's going to be half an hour, you know, before everybody goes home. Or, or you've got a table where maybe you got a board game day or you got a couple of tables of games going on at once and one game table finishes, like say an hour before the other table is probably set to finish. Well, you can whip this game out, set it up. The setup's fairly quick. The gameplay is fairly quick. Uh, it's not an overly complex game, so if you have to teach a couple of people how to play, it's not too terribly long. Yep. Definitely not a game that I would recommend having. It's not one of those, like, I must own it game, but I think it's a must own for a game group. I like it a lot, yeah. And on top of it, there are, it, it does get to be a little stale when you're just playing, say, the base game of it. So it's important then to add additional expansions, and this is one of those games where it's a card game, there's lots of expansions to it. They all seem to change it quite a bit, too. Exactly. There's a lot of things that change the, the dynamic. Like I talked about, I have the Dominion expansion, which is a standalone expansion, too. So, Or I have the Intrigue, Intrigue expansion. Yeah. yeah, the Intrigue expansion, which is a standalone expansion, so I don't need even the core game. I can just go out and buy Intrigue, which I did, and play it right out of the box. Yep. And it has all the, the coin cards and stuff like that that I would need. It's a little more... It's definitely a different dynamic. It's... Uh, there's a little bit more, I think there's a few more attack options, but nothing that's like... Yeah, a little more interaction kind of A thing. little more, but a little, you know, it's it, it tends to slow down play a little bit, I think, with Intrigue. But there's other expansions. I don't remember what the one with the pirates and stuff is kind of crazy. I think that's that seemed Seaside. That a little complicated. <laughs> that's Seaside. Yeah. The Prosperity adds in Platinums and the 10-point victory card. I can't yep. remember what it's called. Yeah, I don't either. Alchemy adds in potions and then cards that you can only buy with potions. Huh. And I'm not sure what some of the other some of the other newer expansions I haven't really played with a whole lot. So there's that. Of course, if you have an Android phone, you can always play Andromedian as well, which is Dominion free. on your phone for free. So or your tablet, the Android tablet. So that's always good. You just pick that up in the market Android marketplace, and that's a ton of fun. And it plays fast as well, so it's a nice like little phone. I love little games on my phone like that that they go pretty quick that I don't have that have great replayability but are quick gameplay because I don't get a lot of time when I'm playing a game on my phone. It's like okay, I'm waiting a few minutes for my wife to get done with her eye exam like last night, or I'm waiting a few minutes to you know you know, get in to see the doctor or something. Like that. So I don't have time to dedicate to like okay, let's play a 20 minute game on my yeah. phone. All right, is there anything else you want to add about Dominion, Brian? I think I'm set. It's good. Pick it up. Yep. All right, so let's go ahead then and get into our main topic. Main topic. I forgot what our main topic was. Something about painting. Painting? I don't know anything about that. Do you know never, anything about you painting? you never done it before? Nah, I've never painted <laughs> before. I think we we're going to touch on some 
highlighting and depth, at, some adding, shading. Adding, adding shading and depth and, and, and adding highlights to your models as well. So let's go ahead and start with, I think, the, the basics of this, um, which is, and this is our third kind of show on painting, I think. Maybe it's our fourth show. I don't remember. Man, I'm terrible at remembering what we've done already. <laughs> it's only been a year. There's just but, too many shows. But I would refer everything, everybody back to the, the very first painting show, which was like episode six or eight or something. Six, I think it was, where it was the paint cast. Yep. That we did our first kind of, we did our first, it's a very good foundations episode on how to paint miniatures, basic painting theory, utilizing mediums and stuff like that in your painting technique understanding paint flow. There was a lot of core concepts that we uh, talked about in that episode that you just, uh, it's good foundation for this main topic. And while not necessary, we may talk about things that if you don't understand what we talked about in that episode, or you haven't heard that episode and you're new to painting, that you might want to go back and catch before you catch the rest of this show. So painting depth and highlights and stuff like that is one of the things I think for guys like yourself, you you just finished your first 10 miniatures really ever. And, you know, I think that was something that was daunting for you was how do I understand how to even do this to make my models look good? Uh Even to the point you're like, you're like, I know when we talked to you before, it was like, what is this? You're painting in layers and this, this using light sourced, you know, highlighting, you didn't, I mean. What th- you talking about? Exactly. Those terms <laughs> didn't really make, I know, and I it's know really, those terms didn't make sense to you. You didn't know what we were talking yeah. about. Yeah. You see the end product and you get what you're going for, but how the heck do you get there? Yeah. You, yeah I mean, a lot of it was like, I, I remember talking to you about it, like, I want my stuff to look like that, but don't you just slap the paint on in one color? It doesn't have its own depth. <laughs> yeah, it's a 3D mini. Why do you need to put shading and stuff? Exactly. Yeah, it's a th- exactly. It's a 3D mini. Why do you need to put shading on it? <laughs> so why is that? Well, it's because it's it's definitely out of scale with your light source. Uh-huh. Whatever, and you're like, well, what do you mean? Well, our light sources, like if you go to a game store or even outside, when you think about the lighting on, on when you're looking at miniatures or like say human miniatures, let's take the basic things that you're thinking about. Let's take human miniatures like Empire and where you have normal flesh tones and stuff like that. And you're trying to replicate how like say the sun in, in an outdoor setting flows and, and reflects off of that person's skin and clothing in scale. On top of that, you're looking at, I mean, it's definitely a different thing. I mean, if you look at somebody, somebody's clothes and look at their, what they're wearing and maybe their flesh tones, it definitely looks a lot different than just taking a miniature and throwing a single coat of paint on it and taking it outside. Uh-huh. I, I, and you instantly, when you look at it, you're like, dude, that doesn't look right. It doesn't look right visually. It doesn't look right. It just doesn't make sense. So that's where we start getting into, okay, that's why you want to add depth and color to your miniatures or the depth and the highlights to your miniatures what's the the first thing when we look at like say the how to paint citadel miniatures what's i know the, a little about that, eh, that <laughs> like that's exactly what i've been doing it, it, well. and it's a good starting point for anyone that's getting into painting miniatures because it's a great there's it's one it's probably the best painting 
guidebook that Games Workshop has put together, and it works obviously with their paint system and their current range of yep. paints. It's all set up right with that. So it was written hand in hand. But when you when you're looking at that, like okay, I've put my first coat of paint on. What's usually the first thing that the How to Paint Citadel Miniatures book tells you to do now? Got to throw a wash on that. Got to throw a wash. And why do you think you got to? What, well, what is a wash? I mean, is it something you do with soap and water? <laughs> what do well, you, I hope what, you do that too. But a wash, as far as your miniatures, it's really thin. I mean, it's not like a paint at all. It's really thin, watered down. It's still colored, uh, and it's gonna just how the adhesion of it actually. You just throw it over the whole color area you're trying to paint, even the whole mini in some cases, and it's gonna attach to all the depth spots. It's gonna pull out the shadow in the miniature. It basically all the recesses and the deeper spots in the model. And the reason being is that because you're using a thinned down, watered down pigment. And there's uh, one of the things that washes is they use a, a paint thinner in them as well, which changes the flow of the paint so that it does naturally want to go to the recesses and, and deeper places of the model. So with this, one of the other things that they tell you, with they don't really tell you because in the How to Paint Citadel miniatures, they're just kind of showing you and telling you which paints you do use in which stages to get this result. Yep. Uh, one of the things that that book follows very closely, though, is that they always use a deeper, a darker color shade of wash than what they painted the model with initially. Yep. And that's because in almost every case in that book, they're using a wash to add depth, which is really the primary thing of what what's they're trying to do and what a wash is used for. You use a wash to add depth to a model. So that's a great first couple of steps. Paint the model with your base color. Take a wash that's the same color, say, like you, you paint a blue. Take a wash that's a darker blue and wash over the blue. Yeah, even your base color starts out a little darker as far as at least the Citadel, how to paint miniatures. It'll be slightly darker than your than actual, your, like, your main color is really going to be. It'll be a slightly darker shade of it. Then the wash is even darker yet, so you get really deep shadows out of it. Exactly. One of the other things that I've seen that's interesting as well as washes, and people don't think about this as much, and, and that's that you can take a wash that is a contrast color to what your a natural contrast color to what the base color was that you painted. If you look at my tomb scorpions and you look at the tails, those are the redded color uh-huh. that I paint the red I used on a lot of my the rest of my tomb kings. It's it's a red tail with a blue body on the scorpion. Now, when you look at the depth shading on that model, doesn't it looks a little bluish? And the reason is is that after I painted the base red, I went over it with a blue wash. Why'd you do that? Because it let a natural looking depth and this great contrast that also then tied in with the rest of the blue on the miniature. Sometimes it's really good when you're using a wash to use a contrast color, say like green, if I painted green to use orange as the, as the wash. And the reason being is it allows for like this really cool looking depth tone to it that looks natural while yet eye-catching huh so it's something that's worth trying yeah i've never tried it before another thing that i want to point out here kind of to step back we're talking about washes but another thing that you can to kind of step back and understand highlighting and why we're talking about this 
is that if you take a, a just any generic miniature, since we're talking about washes, take a generic miniature, prime it white. Okay, just prime it white. And everybody's like, oh, white primer. We hate white primer. That's okay. Just prime <laughs> it white. And then the first thing you do is take a wash, product that's sold as a wash. Any of the, any of the Citadel washes are fine. The, the Prism Gaming washes are actually engineered for this. They're actually right out of the pot. They're engineered for this technique and work awesome for it. Take that wash and literally cover the entire model with that wash. When it dries, you will naturally see the highlights and depths on that model. Yeah, I think I like that a lot because if you handed me a model and told me to highlight it without washing it, I'd be kind of miffed at where I actually want to put that next layer in there. <laughs> yep, that's that definitely with washing it, it helps. It's definitely add tell gives you a paint within the lines yeah, kind of system. That's exactly now. what I was going to say. It puts out the lines, and all you have to do is kind of fill it in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's a great first kind of step into getting the models painted. So we've started with, say, our base base color, which we've Brian pointed out should probably start out, if you're following the How to Paint Citadel Miniatures system, starts out a little bit darker tone than what your final color is going to be, your final raised areas are going to be. And we then wash it with a slightly darker wash which then allows there some of the since it's a wash it's very thin it allows that base color to definitely show through and since more of it runs into the cracks and crevices you get natural depth and darker areas and what this then allows is that the raised areas look should look when you look at something outside like i'm looking at i'm looking out the window right now and i see this tree i can see that the grooves in between the bark are a darker gray, are darker, almost a black. And the very raised areas on the bark are almost a yellowish brown. And so that's basically what we're talking about here. If I start with the, the tree was probably, if I was going to paint this tree, I would have started with a, a dark brown or like a medium brown. I would have washed it with a black wash, maybe a dark brown black wash. And that would have been, and right there, I would have looked already started to look really cool, yeah, and visually attractive on the on the table. I was really amazed by the first time I washed something. <laughs> it was, using a proper yeah. wash goes a long way from uh, to to make a model start to stand out. So now, following that same painting method that Games Workshop has outlined. What 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 is one of the next things? And most of the time, you've you've read the book. I've read the yep. book. What's the next kind of thing that they the next step that they they really start talking about? Usually, kind of over that, you're putting in your next layer. You're like your main layer is what would come after your shadow. No layer. What do you mean? Am I just gonna wash, I'm gonna paint the whole model again? No, don't do that. No, <laughs> we're talking about hitting those raised areas that are now defined by that wash. So the, you'll see uh, when you wash a model, like if I take go back to my tree reference, and anybody should be able to go find a tree to look at, and you'll see what <laughs> I'm talking about. But when I'm looking at that tr that same tree out my window, and, and it's kind of hard for Brian to see the tree I'm looking at, but I'm sure there's a tree out there he can see. I see other trees. When you're looking at that bark, you can see, okay, I've got the, the dark recesses where in between the bark, where the bark, the bark overlaps and comes together 
and I've got the raised areas of the bark where it, obviously the coloration of the tree bark looks lighter. And so basically that wash makes that those dark recesses in my tree bark look dark. And so now I'm going to go back where it's a little bit lighter still on the model because that's where the wash didn't sit. I'm going to go back and just touch, go over those either by hand manually with a brush and paint it, or I can use a technique such as dry brushing to quickly hit those areas depending on how much effort I want to put into this miniature. Yep. Now, at this point, we're getting into layer painting, and layer painting is basically an effect where we're we're putting a color on a model and then turning around or on the on the raised points of the model and then we might even go with another layer that picks out even less of the surface area maybe more of the raised edge and hit hit it again so going back to my same tree example i'm looking at this tree and i notice that it's got some natural gray in it as well i said there was some yellowed brown it's also got some natural gray so I've went back and I've done that first layer. I've 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 painted the model a, a, a pretty standard brown color. I've then went ahead and washed it with a black brown wash to give that creases in the bark a definite standout. I then went into that how to paint Citadel miniatures book and I said, oh, use use a. Uh, a little bit lighter shade of brown over the top of my first brown with a dry brush. So that's what I've done. Yeah, my tree is now looking pretty stunning, but I'm like, I want to take it to that next step. And I went that, I then took, went back with a yellow brown and hit some, hit it once again, just with a real light dry brush. Wow. Okay. Well, it still doesn't look quite right because it's, I look at that tree outside and I look at the tree I'm painting and the tree outside has some gray to it. Well, I can add another layer with another light dry brush of just a little bit of like a standard gray and pow, that just really helps bring that tree together and makes it look right. And not only that, but I'm getting that natural highlighting when I've used several consecutive layers using a dry brushing technique so that all of the previous layers of color have a chance to stand through as well and become part of the overall color of the model and the overall shading and highlighting on the model. Um, follow along, make sense? I think I got it. Okay. <laughs> so basically it was a, a series of three dry brushes over the top of of a, a, of a wash and base, base colored model. Yep to end up with a the final result with what I kind of see outside the window in that tree I'm looking at. And yeah, your layers are more or less covering more like less and less of the actual model, so you're still getting that last color you're seeing that, but then you're just getting the very edge with the next one and kind of less and less to actually bring out just the next layer. Yeah, so I mean uh, another good example of this is like let's say take a a rib cage on a on a skeleton. Yep. Okay. Some we're both familiar with painting. So first thing I first thing I'm doing with mine is I take like a yellow brown color and that's my base coat. Yep, that's exactly what I got. Okay. And then the second round of coating is I throw down that wash and I happen to be using the prism gaming prison gaming uh leather wash yeah like a brown wash which yeah it's a brown wash I, I mix it with a little bit of water to uh basically thin the 
wash a little bit, but otherwise it's Prism Gaming leather wash. I follow that up. I actually personally follow that back up with a ba- with a dry brush. It's not quite a dry brush of uh, the original color. The base color again. Base color, followed by a mix of the base color and some white. Well, some bone white anyway. So it's not quite that. That's that off bonish color white. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying. I mean, I'm trying to layer it up in such a way that the transition of the from the darkest dark and the crack in the bone to where it's going to be that final raised area is more gradual. So it looks more smooth and natural to the eye. So when it looks, when somebody looks at it really close, the difference in the two layers isn't jump out at them and look unnatural. Yeah. It'll look fine. Like I've seen it a lot where people will take like a skeleton and they'll paint it, they'll prime it black and dry brush it white. That's a pretty big contrast. That's a huge contrast, and it looks fine when I'm like six foot away. Uh-huh. But when I start looking, when I'm start even when I'm playing a game, it just doesn't look natural. That transition doesn't look natural. That fade from dark to light, and that's really what you're looking for. Is that fade from dark to light, and how you pull that off like, doesn't look right natural from when you start looking at it closer. The addition of additional layers basically should smooth out that transition so the closer and closer somebody looks at your model the more and more it's hard for them to visually tell that there's something wrong yeah i think if you compared like my like like i said i finished my first 10 models and you've definitely painted a lot more than me you're just painting at a different level than me for sure and if you looked at our layering like mine's way more (laughs) like yours is so much better blended than mine like Mine, you can see every layer pretty much on the final product from far away. It looks perfectly fine, but on the close inspection, yours is definitely going to be very, a lot more impressive than my blending would be. I'm just, I just don't do it. And that's one of the things that's a real challenge for a lot of people. So it's one of the reasons why we chose this topic to talk about it and, and hopefully expose it. And I'm, I don't think I'm a master of it by any means, but yeah, you're exactly right. And it is. You know, when you think about, like, say, a tournament scoring system or whatever in appearance, this is the kind of the thing that, that separates the average painter to the top end of the guys that are, that are getting really good marks in the appearance scoring when, when that is considered. I, I think that pretty much covers the how to paint Citadel miniatures and really the, really that's not just their method. It, it really transitions well for anything you're painting and it just becomes how do i do more layers well one of the other things that comes into to concern here is is that with the how to paint citadel miniatures painting method they're really teaching you how to paint with our paints to get this level of painting which looks good at the three foot level you know looking about three foot away from the model Uh looks great the transitions look natural and everything looks correct. But when you start looking at it close up, it doesn't look right. How do I get to that next level? Because I'm just painting out of those pots and it just doesn't work. Because that's exactly I mean. They're telling you, you go buy this paint. It's the right mix right out of the pot. How do I make this work? Uh-huh. And so then we start getting into understanding paint flow a little bit, which we talked a lot about on, episode, on that episode six of the, the, paint, the paint cast, cast where we start using additives to our paint those additives could be as simple as water or as complicated as you start using various painting mediums and paint thinners 
to get your paints to do things that are a little bit different than what it would come straight out of the pot. So one of the things I can start doing is that when I start thinning down the paint, it means that it's more transparent, which means I have one of the things that it being more transparent does for me is that I can cover more of the previous coat than I did before, than I was able to do before. If I just take paint straight out of the pot and I put a second coat, like, okay, I started with a brown, talk, going back to our painting bone reference, uh-huh. I start with a, that yellow, that yellow brown, like I, like I did before, and I pro, I washed it with my brown wash. Why does washing it with a brown wash work? It's because that original color still shows through on the, on the wash, right? Yep. And in the case of the wash, it goes down in the recesses. So if I if I could come up with a method of painting on my paint where it still allows that dark depth to show through while still adhering to the raised layers as well by using a thinned down lighter color, all of a sudden I'm helping my transition from dark to light. The problem with just using straight thinned down paint is that you start to at some point if you just continually wash it, wash it, wash it with further lighter coats, eventually your recess color gets covered up. But it does work early on if you're like, okay, I painted my model in my base color, I washed my color with my darker shade of wash, and now I want my model to go up a level in color. I could go and take, say, that next highlight level of color instead of layering it on by a dry brush i could literally wash my entire model with a with a homemade mixture of watered down paint in the next color i wanted and that'll help get a a smooth transition from everything it's not something i do currently but it's something i've done in the past and the effect can be really cool and really stunning on models one of the other things that you can do is then you can use that same kind of methodology and thought process you have to do this with painting a little bit with care, but I also add then a little medium to the paint. And this is where you go, well, what is medium? Well, we talked about it on episode six, and it's basically a paint additive that you can get from pretty much any like craft store. Like I go down to Michael's, you go to the acrylics paint section, they have painting medium. They have all sort. they have a couple of different got types. I tend to use a low gloss version. It's basically in the world of acrylic paints, what painting medium is essentially for is it's an additive to paints that's used to bond the paint particles, the dry paint pigment, together. Um, it's water-soluble, so it's fine there. Um, it's oftentimes uh, like a gloss or semi-gloss type finish is what it ends up doing. Um but uh, I, t- I, t- I try to find the lowest gloss one that they have available for me at Michael's, and that's what I use. And when you're painting that with that, what it ends up doing when you're painting a miniature is it changes the way the paint flows off your brush onto the model. And in this case, instead of, like, when I'm painting that miniature, okay, I've painted that base coat. Like, this, I actually use this. This works really good on horses, what I, that technique I was talking about before, uh-huh. where, okay, I've painted my base color. And then I've basically washed it with my darker color. And now I go back to my base color and I've added painting medium to that base color. And I wash my horse again. Really thinned out. It's painting medium. It's 50% or more water between total of the total mixture. 
painting medium, which is about 25% or 15% of my mixture. And this isn't any exact science. It's just kind of eyeball it on my palette. And then the, the actual original color. And what this ends up being is I end up having a paint that's really thin, really watered down. But then also when it goes on the model, as it kind of beads together a little bit, it literally sucks up a little bit physically through the miracle of chemistry <laughs> to the raised areas. It doesn't want to sit down to the, it wants to kind of clump together and it wants to clump together naturally on the raised areas. It ends up, I mean, finalized because you're using such a thin coat and it's wanting to kind of naturally do that. You'd end up with a little bit, it doesn't look quite perfect at this point, but it, when you cover the whole model, it does add that X, that next level of bringing your models layer, your models highlights up while still maintaining that depth. And then I can, and, and, I, and it's so easy. I mean, anybody can just paint a whole figure with a color. Okay, I shouldn't say anybody. I've seen a lot of new guys <laughs> where they can't get paint into the entire miniature yet. That is something that's definitely you can do. I also want to note that painting with watered-down paints for getting total model coverage, it's easier to do. The problem with total model coverage with thinned-down or watered-down paints is that sometimes because the paint can get to be a, to a level that it's so transparent, it's hard to see that you've actually done anything. Mm -hmm. So when you listen to, like, say, a Johnny Hastings say, well, yeah, I spent four hours just getting this one color done on these three guys <laughs> or this one guy, it's because he's done consecutive watered-down layers four, five, six, seven times before he's even able to, before he's really starting to see what's happened to the model and see that transit, to really start seeing that proper transition change from that dark to light. I guess that's, that's a hard concept to kind of talk about, but it's something that works really well. Yeah, follow along with that, Brian? I think I got it. Yeah. Okay. It seems a little over my head, but I mean, it's something I could try, definitely. We're definitely one of, the, now that we have one of the, one of the things I don't think we talked about at the beginning of the show, we're going to stay on topic, stay on topic. No. Okay. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to bust out a topic here for a second and, and do an announcement that we probably should have done at the beginning of the show. I don't think we did. It hit and Facebook already. Yes. It did hit Facebook already. And that's <laughs> that Wisco Dice picked up a small handheld HD video camera. Dun, dun, dun. So we actually have it in the studio. We've been playing with it a little bit today. And Ooh, we're going noises. to, we're going to do, <laughs> we're going to do a, some video casting here very soon. And one of the things that I kind of have targeted on the video casting type stuff I want to do is to go back and, and do some painting how to's with some of these basic painting, not, not only basic painting techniques, but also getting into the full scope of, uh, some of this advanced, more advanced stuff that we've been talking about, like on this show. So that you guys can have a better idea of exactly what it is we're talking about. So you can see some visual perspective on it. I also like using, getting back on topic, as far as, as far as we're talking, like say we're talking that horse, like I've, I've used this on the, my Rohan horses uh, that I've done so far, which isn't a whole lot of them, but there's, I think one that's actually finished and another one that's mo that's like halfway or two thirds of the way there. And what I did, one of the things is that I've painted the model with my base color. I've, I've washed it. I went ahead and did my, 
went over the entire model again with the base color mixed down like I did with the water. And I probably did this actually this step a couple, two or three times to build up that base color again while still maintaining some of that depth from the wash. But now I'm going to go ahead and start picking out those raised areas. And it should still be kind of apparent what those raised areas are because I did the wash. The wash is still kind of still showing through the medium and the consecutive additional complete essential, essentially a wash with a medium added to it. Those raised areas are still fairly apparent. And I can literally then take a still, I still use a thin down paint at this point, but it's a little bit thicker, a little bit less water, a little more paint about the same amount of medium, and just brush over those raised areas with a slightly lighter. And this can be as simple as mixing in just a touch of white to the pool of paint that I already have on my palette. Mm -hmm. I could just pick up a different color as well, whichever works easier for you. I use both. I think, you know, when you follow the How to Paint Citadel method, yeah, you get a whole another pot everything out. is you yeah. just get out a whole another pot. No blending or mixing, none of that. And blending and mixing is a challenge. I mean, it's something maybe we should talk about a little bit as we're talking highlights. The the when you're talking highlighting, getting that transition from your dark in the recesses in the cracks. Like we go back to the let's flip back again to the tree, the tree and you get to those cracks where it's dark in between the cracks, and it's the raised the outside bark is lighter colored. You get that transition, though, from it so it looks natural to do it. The more steps between that dark to that light, the more it will look natural on the tabletop under closer and closer observation. And when you're doing more and more transition layers from your dark to your final light color, the thinner your paint needs to be so that you can control the placement of the paint on the model. That's where you start and that's where you get into adding the medium because that also adds a certain element of natural control just by chemistry. Also, it allows for that closer observation. One of the things is now I'm done painting my model and I've got it all pretty much together. We go back to like my skeletons and painting those. Well, drat. I got a little bit too much lighter bone color in this little crack or crevice. And I need to define that crack a little bit better. Well, I can still go back and using a little bit of wash, that original Prism Gaming Leather wash that I'm using, and use some paint thinner, which Prism actually makes a product called Cutter, and put that into my leather wash, and then with a really fine brush, hit those cracks and crevices again just to define them a little better. It's very painstaking. It's very tu- It's very kind of, uh, and it's really not necessarily guaranteed necessary, but it does really help spell out that difference on those models. So, I think that pretty much. I, I think I've looped back and talked about the same thing a couple of times <laughs> as far as layering and and doing transition layering so from dark to light. Pretty good. So hopefully we did it pretty good. If you got questions or uh, still or or additional comments, we'd love to hear them though. And I'll be happy to answer them. You can hit us on Facebook, Twitter, or send us an email. We'll definitely catch you and, and respond to those as quickly as we can. So uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and take a break. I've been talking for quite a while. Brian's been listening for quite a while. 
hopefully absorbing some info as well. Hopefully I have been kind of on the spot with, with doing some of this stuff. And when we come back, we'll get to wrapping up this show. Wrap it up. What, what, what's that place? The last, the last circle? The, the last triangle? No, wait, the last square. That's what it is. The last square located on O'Dana Road. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, they have the huge selection of miniatures. Everything from 5 millimeter scale all the way up to 25, 28, everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the, basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin. With every wargaming need, you can just about imagine or think you wanted it, and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. All right. And if you can't get to the square, you can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. Cozy! Yep. One thing I really miss Paul for is the <laughs> intro to Conzie's rant. I'm sorry. You don't even want me to attempt that. I don't know. <laughs> we may be looking for tryouts for someone to do the Conzie's <laughs> rant intro now. Anyways, today's Conzie's rant is a little bit about my inbox is awfully empty. Sad. That's very sad. It makes a Conzie sad. And so this today's Conzy rant is going to be on a positive though, and we're going to talk about how you can how you the listener can fill up Conzy's inbox, or at least the inbox for the show by emailing hosts at wiscodice.com and how you can get stuff out of it potentially. What we're going to do here is we got a new promotion, new contest. So what we're going to do is we're going to record the next. We got a couple of new hosts we brought out of the show. We'd like to get an idea as we start to transition and change some things and how these get how these guys are interacting with the show a little bit and see how we can maybe make things a little better. We need your help. And so what we'd like to do is take the from episode 30, episode 31, and episode 32 of the show, which should be three different type topic shows, this one being a hobby show, 31 will be... You'll, you'll just have to wait and see in 32. You'll just have to wait and see type shows is that we're going to go ahead and I want to, I want you guys to email us in at hosts at wiscodice.com. And yes, that's at hosts at wiscodice.com and go ahead and let us know three things that you really liked about those episodes. It doesn't have, you could be just pick one of those episodes. It could be all three of those episodes. And then one thing that you thought we could have done better or that you found was kind of eh or whatever it might be. Just we want, we want three pieces of positive, you know, positive feedback and one piece of negative feedback on these shows, on those three shows. And then on episode 33, when we sit down to record 33, we will do a drawing for all the people that have emailed us at hosts at wiscodice.com that must be to host. If you tweet us, ain't going to count. If you Facebook us, it ain't going to count. We love the feedback, but we want an official (laughs) email to hosts at wiscodice.com to be able to enter the drawing. We trust me, we're not doing anything with your personal information. We don't really care about that. We just want to see this tool of ours actually get used a little bit more than what it is right now. We want your feedback. We really, deep down, we want your feedback. And as part of that, you know, if you send in an email, 
we will put your name into a drawing. And on episode 33, we will draw a couple of winners. And those winners will win a box of the current, brand new, still in the shrink wrap, of the current Skeleton Warriors for the Vampire Counts line. Ooh. So I have two boxes of those sitting downstairs, and that will be what we do a drawing for. And if we get a lot of emails, then, well, in episode 31 or 32, we will announce more stuff to be added to that prize pool. So definitely let us know what you've been thinking of the show, what you think we might need to prove on those three things we were doing right or maybe done well in the shows. One thing that you really stood out to you that was a clunky thing and we'll move on from there, okay, and, and take that feedback and, and take it really seriously and give us something that the three of us can sit down and really chat about. Let's go ahead then. That wrap that wraps up the Conzie's rant. Let's go ahead and move into the what our hobby and gaming goals are for the next couple of weeks, or at least the next week, obviously. I think uh we are actually set to record at Cheddar Bowl next Cheddar Bowl. next. So we'll be doing some tournament coverage in the next show as long as well as um, you know, just general tournament info. And so what are, you know, obviously we got a week to go. Do we, do you have anything you want to try to get done hobby wise? Uh, that's a pretty short time frame. I mean, I'm still going to be working on my ghouls. I guess they're the first thing I'm probably going to paint up. So that's where any effort in the hobby will go. And I want to have a good time at Shutterpool. Well, that's, those are definitely a couple of awesome things to try to work towards. Now, with your ghouls, are they actually to the point where you're ready to prime them, or are you still doing things with A handful with them? of them, but there's an awful lot of them. So, I don't know. I was debating if I want to, like, get a couple ready and then paint them, and then get a couple more ready and then paint them, but I think I might go through them all, get them all ready to prime, get the primer shot on there, and then start going through them in groups, because I have, like, 40 at least to start with. So when you're getting them ready, is it, are you actually, is there like mold lines you're cleaning up still on them? Yeah, or? they're all glued in the bases, the ones I have already. Like a handful, I've gotten them, like, they're all the old actual, the metal models. So I've actually gotten them all off of like eBay and such. So they all have mold lines on them and stuff yet. So yeah, I'm cleaning all those off. And there's not too many poses of them. So I want to repose them a bit too. So they rank up a little better and just add a little more variety to the unit. Okay, I was kind of curious, maybe if you were putting gluing the sand on too, then at this oh, point. Oh, I got I got to do that too. Yeah, I'll do that before I paint. But I mean, that's pretty quick, just to slap the sand on the base. All right, so but mostly mold lines, which is very exciting. As far as I'm concerned, uh, before the next episode, I need to go ahead and paint up at least another seven night goblins, which are I just have to finish those guys up. I'm actually starting work on two more Tomb Kings chariots so I can fill out my core at over 400 points in Tomb Kings so I can get to that 1,600-point level, which starts to make for some interesting games. And then I want to go ahead and maybe I'll go ahead and get get a... I got one Mantic Skeleton I've got on my table that I'm working on for a buddy of mine for his Descent game. So I want to get that, see if I can get that a little further along as well. That's uh, all the projects. I don't think I'll have anything other than those seven Night Goblins finished by next time. It's but just a week. <laughs> by the next time we record. But, hey, I wanted to go ahead and, and get something. I mean, I obviously have a lot of models I need to push and move on to make sure that I stay well ahead of Mr. Andrew Sherman. So gaming-wise, I've got, obviously, Tuesday Night Gaming at the Square, and I've got Cheddar Bowl, which, yeah, having a good time at Cheddar Bowl is going to be good. And I've got to get some time, actually, with the camera as well to shoot some video and see what I can actually do with the video out of that camera. I haven't actually 
shot any video with it since I was charging it last night and it haven't used it at all. New. So I'd love to do that as well. I don't know that I'll have any video I'll actually use to as like video casting type stuff, but those are the kind of things I want to do. So what do we talk about today, Brian? Uh Dust Notling. Dust Notling, yep, and we talked about that. Also had some gaming spotlight action on Dominion. Yeah, we talked about Dominion. Good game, lots of fun. Recommended that's owned in your game group. Yep, good to have it around. And our main topic was paint, getting the depths and highlights in there. Yep, very specifically talking about highlighting and shading How you models. And and really we focused a lot on priming, or on, not on priming, on, on washing the model and adding in layers of color whether it's through a dry brush or using a more advanced technique like using painting mediums and thin down paints and don't forget the contest yeah hey don't Send forget us about that the emails yeah we need emails at hosts at wiscodice.com in order for your contributions to be respected that was about it all right so <laughs> where can i find or download the show obviously you're listening to our show right now so you already probably figured out where to download it at but just in case you weren't aware you can catch our show on itunes on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as on uh, BlackBerry Podcasts. So uh, on top of that, we're always open to hearing about where else we can list your our stuff. If, you do, if you're if you looking for our, our podcast and it's not on that media, let us know. We'll try to do the research and figure out what it takes to get listed there. How do I contact the show hosts, Brian? Facebook is pretty quick. Yep, you can catch Both us on Facebook. On we have a Facebook page as well as a group. So you can catch us on either of those. So you do have to ask to join the group. You can always catch us on WiscoDice.com. 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 You're all over Twitter, aren't you? Yep. Conzie's on Twitter at Dugan Bridex. You can always catch the cheese curd at Swiss Dictator. <laughs> Google Plus, that's you, something. Yep. You can catch us at WiscoDice at gmail.com on Google Plus. And then in case you forgot our email... What's that? It's hosts at wiscodice.com. <laughs> hosts at wiscodice. Yep. So you can catch us on all of those. Man, the show kind of feels a little, little empty. We, we're missing one major component today. Yep. Cheese curds. Yes. <laughs> where, where is that cheese curd? I need a cheese curd to throw it. Where is Robert? I can't throw a cheese curd to Robert. <laughs> that loser. Where is he? <laughs> he better get back. I'm going to punch him in the face next time I see him. <laughs> what, a, what a bum. He's playing that stinky Nurgle stuff. Who want to play that garbage. <laughs> Nurgle. Nurgle stinks. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They revealed a little bit of something. What the fan thinks about Nurgle, too. <laughs> All right. Obviously, the new filth of Warhammer. And on that bombshell... We're, We're out of here. Peace out. <laughs>